0: Florida. Tourist paradise. Tropical vacation wonderland. Sunshine and cool breezes. From Mallory Square in Key West to the Governor's Mansion in Tallahassee and all points beyond, you're listening to the Florida Beer Podcast,
1: powered by floridabeerblog.com, your source for all things
0: related to the craft beer community in the Sunshine State. And now your host, Dave Butler.
1: Here we go again with another episode of the Florida Beer Podcast powered by FloridaBeerBlog.com. Thank you for listening. This is Dave, your host and author. On today's episode, we are going to Orlando. Got a couple breweries there that we are going to be visiting, but first... As some of you may have heard the news, the Florida Beer Podcast is going to be a part of the Florida Podcast Network. We have been picked up, which is awesome news. So if you listen to any of the shows on the Florida Podcast Network, you've probably heard me talking to Jimmy and Glenn. It looks like the first episode is going to be on July 4th, and... Before then, obviously, the episodes are still going to be released at the same time. You'll still hear my voice. Everything will be just the same, only hopefully it'll sound a little bit nicer and we'll get better distribution and grow and reach more people, which is amazing. Uh, If you want to help out, obviously, the best thing that you can do is to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. If your podcast app of choice allows you to rate, you know, definitely give us some stars five would be the best obviously and let's get on with the show today so we're gonna go to a couple breweries that are pretty awesome i've known about them for a couple of years and the first one is getting some notoriety in the central florida beer community because, not just because of the fact that it's a brewery that has great beer, but it is also a place of worship. So I am talking about Castle Church Brewing. It is a little bit west of Orlando International Airport. I think west is the direction on Cimarron. And it is a Lutheran church, in addition to being a 20-barrel brewery. Um, they do the two very, very well. Uh, if you're interested in the beer, the church isn't very heavy-handed. If you're interested in the church, the beer isn't very heavy-handed. And they've been doing this for several years now and finally got the capital together to open up a place of their own. It's a really, really phenomenal place. Two guys headed it up. Uh, Aaron is the beer guy, and he was working on the system on the day that I visited, So I wasn't able to talk to him too much, but the person that I did speak to is Jared, who is sort of the operations and the pastor for Castle Church Brewing. I've interviewed them both a couple times before, and I love talking with them because, and you'll hear a lot of this in the interview, not only are we able to talk about beers and we're able to talk about the brewing community that's growing in orlando and central florida but we also talk a lot about the history of beer and the history of the church and how those two intertwine so without further ado let's talk to jared at castle church brewing and enjoy because it's new construction getting into a new space were you able to dictate layout and make it work for for Aaron is in his team
0: actually uh, we were fortunate that um, our they didn't even have blueprints finished <laughs> until until we got signed on and so that allowed us to uh, get our all our entire design from the ground up Cool. so we didn't have to dig up any flooring for drainage or, or any of that stuff our equipment was installed at the right time in the build out I mean in terms of the, the planning of it, so that was fortunate. Do you
1: have any idea how many people are jealous of you?
0: <laughs> be, uh, be careful what you wish for. Is what I
1: was Understandable. So, yeah, I do appreciate it. Um, how are things going? You've been open for a little while now, since December, right? Yeah, we
0: opened, uh, grand opening was December 1st, cool. um, after a little bit of a soft opening. And things have been going well. We've, uh, we've been growing out of the tap room every month. we've been open we just started distribution a couple months ago and uh, we currently are in uh, 30 uh, bars and restaurants around Orlando um, hoping to uh, build from the inside out so that we have a strong like local awareness and and people locally kind of embrace us before we try to go wider than that
1: and we'll talk about the other half of the castle church experience in a little bit but has that you know being a church and the brewery been a draw for contracts to ask for you to to want to get those beers
0: in no i i I would say that that's largely driven by quality of, of product and and uh demand i mean people people make requests or, or ask about us here and there or we win a beer festival or, or that kind of thing that that, that really helps I, I think by and large the we um, a lot a lot of people find out about the church because of the brewery okay. but uh, very few people want our beer because we're a church you know because okay. uh, not a huge demographic of people who are just trying to support us because of that uh-huh. which is great I mean that 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 uh, allows us to uh, to come in Legitimately, as a as a partner in the craft community in Orlando, and say, you know, we got to put our money where our mouth is. Quality-wise, which how, we've done.
1: how is Orlando doing when it comes to craft beer? I mean, how has it been growing? Because it seems that there are a bunch of them, but there's still a good chunk of distance between a lot of them. So, but obviously, not being here, how would you feel? How would you describe it to to people from other areas in the state and other areas of the country?
0: Yeah, I say it's, I'd say it's blowing up quickly. Um, it's, it's an interesting beast because we're, we're coming to the craft beer craze uh, 25 years behind the game. You know, <laughs> and, and that's in a state where uh, you have towns like Tampa and Miami who are maybe 10 years behind rather than 25. Yeah. Um, and so what a craft brewery is, has been established for us in a way that it wasn't for breweries starting up maybe mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago. Um, there's certain expectations about the kind of style menu that you're going to have or, or what kind of niche you're going to carve out for yourself if you're a more niche uh, brewery. Um, but here locally, what, what we're really trying to do is is kind of rewind a little bit on the um, well, at Castle Church, what we're trying to do is rewind a little bit on on how quickly things progress in terms of uh, experimentation and trying to be innovative and in coming up with different kinds of be at Castle Church one of our biggest things is uh, make a beer that you would drink twice yeah you know
1: and I was taking a look at the tap list and it is wonderful in its simplicity it's got a lot of classic clean, very European styles that I would think of when you take a look at the period at the Lutheran mm-hmm. Church was founded in that sort of region, that seems to be more what the tap-less is looking at rather than big, heavy pastry stouts or crazy things that were brewed with sausages and pineapples and traffic cones and yeah, yeah. the cement truck and well, we think like that. Well, we that.
0: think that's part of what we are is we're, uh, we uh, are trying to make uh, beer flavored beer that you drink more than one of. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we kind of feel like there's a, a niche for that where there's, I mean, there, there's a way to execute on an amber ale like nobody else can make an amber ale. There's a way to mm-hmm. ex- execute on a, on a brown ale that, that nobody can execute on a brown ale. Um, and so it, it has to do with that. It has to do also with just what we are as a historic reference. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we love the old classic, uh, Doppelbachs and, uh, lagers in Germany and, and um, we, we like to sort of experiment a little, but we never want that to be our, our kind of like hallmark. Okay. Um, we want to make, we want to execute on beer flavored beer really well.
1: Um. And yet, one of the biggest beers that you have, the first one that I tried of yours, the one that I was probably the most excited for, was a style that's almost never seen anymore, which is the Einbecker, which Mm -hmm. is the beer that was, that I know you got very close to the recipe that Martin Luther himself Mm -hmm. enjoyed. Do you get a lot of confusion with that beer? A lot of hand-holding and explaining, here's what it is, here's what it's supposed to be, here's what it'll taste
0: like? Um, I think, uh, I've been kind of amazed at the level of historical awareness of the people who come to us. Really? Um, yeah, a lot of people sitting at this bar are explaining to their friends different elements of Reformation history. Interesting. Uh, and and some some of what they're saying is not quite accurate, but it's fun to hear them. Uh, <laughs> it's fun to hear them bantering back and forth about you know 500 years ago beer history and church history and whatever. So that that's what makes it unique, kind of being a part of what we are.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the Einbecker is is. Uh, uh, sort of um, Frankenstein of uh, something that was not rare or experimental at all five hundred years ago it was extremely popular all across Europe and it had more to do with like politics in the in the country and, and uh, specifically north south politics between Bavaria and the Protestant north and Germany. the fact that it went extinct had more to do with that than it did here itself um, which today if you go and um, there's different variations of it. There's a medieval variation of it, which we've, we've tried to rec- recreate. And then there's, in Germany, they're still making Einbeckers that are more a more modern, uh, just kind of crisp, uh, not very complex, but uh, but malty ale. Okay. So back to the church and the church history and
1: everything. You are a Lutheran, the Lutheran pastor for this, yeah. for this church. Do you get a lot of, do you still get a lot of confusion as to how those, the two the church and brewery can be combined together or is it pretty well an accepted part of just what Orlando has at this point um, what, say that again well I guess my question is has the novelty worn off and you're just sort of accepted for, for being the church that's a brewery and the brewery that's a church and so on
0: yeah I, I mean I, I think again, for the, for, the brewery, for the brewery crowd, all they care about is that we, that we have a good beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we've ever expected them to care about. And so the, the church part was really never a novelty that interested them in the first place. Um, on the church side, one of the things that we've said over and over in our council and our leadership teams and small groups and everything is um, we're, we're trying to um, reorientate what it means to be a Christian uh, and the perception of what it is to be a Christian in North America, as well as create a place where people can be their most authentic selves um, and have a conversation that they feel is free from the pressures of uh, conventional church life, where you oftentimes have to clean up or, or put on a, a sort of persona to participate in church community. Um, and if we, don't, if we don't succeed in creating that, and we don't have a theology that's different, we don't have a spirituality that's more robust, if we don't relate to each other with more love, um, Then the the novelty of the beer is not that interesting after about a week. I mean, we've said that from day one. Like people show up because they they'll be curious about that, but if if the church isn't better, if the if the growing as as people isn't better, um, that'll wear off after a week. Gotcha. We fully expect it, and we we hope that that's the case because we don't want to be a novelty forever. We want we want to develop. A robust community of people who care for each other and care for the community outside of themselves
1: and you had that community when you were home brewing long before the facility mm-hmm. opened. Has that community followed you
0: here, and has it grown since opening uh, it 's grown significantly um, a lot of the people as we were as we were kind of bouncing around between different house groups around town and aaron 's garage and uh, there 's a little bit of attrition that happens just by geography being. You know, forty-five minutes or an hour away from a lot of the locations where we were building, um, but uh, the the church community has uh, almost octupled in size really? from late November when we had a roof over our head and air, air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> we have at Castle Church, Castle Church, we have BC, AD, and then AC which is AC day when, uh, when we weren't roasting it alive out in the parking lot as this place was going up or uh, in the oven of this place without air conditioning.
1: Do you find, this question has nothing to do with beer at all, do you find that it is easier or more difficult to be a pastor in times, especially what's kind of been happening lately I guess in the world, is it easier to find people that are interested in coming in and hearing? Or I think is it's.
0: It... I think it's quite a bit easier um, than it would have been 50, 60 years ago, um, because 50, 60 years ago, everybody everybody knew what a pastor was. They had a lot of uh, preconceived notions about what a church was, what your role as pastor was, and uh, I would have I would have been forever beating my head against the wall trying to deconstruct that. Um, and now it's. Uh, it's no one knows. I mean, people are blank slate, largely, especially in the younger generations, and so um, you have the opportunity to say, "Oh no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not this or I'm not that." I, I uh, develop meaningful community where the love that people experience in that community spills out into the world outside, like a like a wine chalice for, uh, spilling over, which is an image that we use frequently. Do you have a lot of people where you have to
1: sort of? dissect their preconceived notions of what you are as a Lutheran because of what they know from other denominations like the or Baptists or whatnot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, sure. Now, um, I, I still have to do that. Uh, or Central Florida is one of the megachurch capitals of North America. Really? Yeah, and megachurches have... Uh, Typically, I mean, they they can go by non-denominational or evangelical. It's all Baptist theology, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, a lot of people uh, have that notion about that's what all of Christianity is, and, and so presume that you believe the same things as Baptists believe. Um, but uh, the the interesting thing is, I get that question now, when it was. I got way more of those perceptions and preconceived notions about what we were doing at more conventional churches that I've served in the past. Now it's, um, we get a crowd who uh, recognize, I think, that there's something kind of different going on here, Or, or they come here trying to find something different.
1: And your background was, you used to work at one of those mega churches.
0: I wouldn't call it a mega church. it was a, it was a good uh, mid-sized congregation, um, it was a Lutheran congregation that was quietly, like Lutheran tend to be trying to do the right things in the world, and um, a lot of good people there, but, but nobody came to that church assuming they had no idea what we were, <laughs> or no idea what we were doing, and a lot of people come to this church having no idea, they're a blank slate as to what we are. And so they actually are teachable. They actually have open minds. And, uh, and you can define for yourself what you are as a pastor mm-hmm. to them, you know, um, which is a, a huge gift. Um, if, you've ever, if you've ever tried to explain to someone who thinks they know exactly who you are and what you believe <laughs> that you're not like that, um, you'll understand. Like, it's, it, 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 crea- it restarts the clock on... Two thousand years of Christian history, in some ways, being in an unconventional setting where you can say, "No, I know a lot of Christians are this way. It doesn't have to be that way." Or, I know a lot of people believe this. It doesn't have. They don't have to believe that. You know. <laughs> so that's that's been really a, a nice journey for me as a leader in the community. Excellent.
1: And I know you still have some aspects of a traditional church, even though this is a tap room, like in the middle of the sort of main area, there's a fountain that can be used as a baptismal font. Mm -hmm. Has
0: it been used as such? Yeah, of course. And and one of the things that that we're trying to do is is change what people hear when they hear the word traditional. Uh When you say traditional in the context of Christian communities, what people are actually hearing is the hymnal that was published in 1955 when I was a little kid. That's a good point. Or the church that my grandmother worshipped at, or um, you know, "Amazing Grace" without guitars, or whatever like silly kind of thing. But it almost always dates back no more than like uh, 60 or 70 years. Um, and then, and then even with like beliefs like the inerrancy yeah. of Scripture, or or uh, having to believe that uh, that in substitutionary atonement, that idea that Jesus was punished for our sins. That goes back about a hundred years in American history. Really? Yeah. That was that had to do with the uh, that had to do with the uh, Darwinism being taught in schools, and a reaction to that, as well as a reaction to a lot of the the historical criticism of scripture that had just started going on at, at the academic level. People didn't like them picking apart their Bible and saying, "Well, this may not have been a historical part of the original text," or, or you know, uh, what Paul means when he says this word may not actually have meant in Greek what we think it means. A lot of, that made a lot of people uncomfortable, English-speaking American Christians, um, and then some in the U.K. as well, or uh, Britain at the time. Um, and uh, they, I don't know, when they weren't the U.K. Yeah, at yeah. the time. Yeah. But uh, they, uh, they, they had this huge reaction in a lot of the sort of more conservative-leaning brands of Christianity, they had what's called the Niagara Conference, um, where uh, some Calvinist uh, ministers primarily came together and they developed what's called the, like, the five fundamentals. And those five fundamentals are, are really a lot of what people think they're questioning when they question Christianity. Okay. And there's about 1900 years and and 4,000 different other ways that you can be a Christian without really having much to do with that at all. And so, when I, we, I always have to be very careful when people say the word traditional, like, what, it, what do you mean traditional? Like, what are you hearing when you say traditional? For us, that means digging into ancient rituals um, that people participated in, um, themselves not even really understanding why or what they were, because rituals don't work through cognitive information. We, we participate in things before we fully understand what we're doing. Like any like any yoga or meditative practice, um, it's the doing of the thing that uh, that binds you to the the meaning uh, and connects you with the the history. And so, when you dig deep in the last two thousand years and try to find what are those traditions, um, that that's what for us means traditional. But you wouldn't it wouldn't look familiar in a lot of say. Uh, Protestant or even or even Catholic churches today um, who all kind of like they go, they go back so far and say this is the tradition so I guess
1: using the word traditional probably be better to use the word stereotypical in a lot of ways There's yeah a stereotypical assumption between Christianity and alcohol and I know we've talked about this before is that Alcohol is bad, no touchy the alcohol. And you've always said that that really isn't a Lutheran issue. It's very specific to only a couple of different
0: Oh, I mean that 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 doesn't date past the twentieth century. That's Carrier Nation and the Prohibition movement in North America, which I mean that that's there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years where nobody cared. Like nobody associated being a Christian (laughs) without having a drink you know, with not having a drink. Um, there's, of course, there's there's, Bibli- there's scriptural texts that talk about not getting hammered, um, but... I was,
1: I've always been curious as to, and obviously you clearly do not believe on the evils of alcohol and how it should not be touched. Obviously. It clearly as we're drinking a Kolsch. I've always wondered how a group that can say that it is better for your walk with God to not touch alcohol... To then also worship somebody whose first miracle was the production of some sort of alcohol, some and the traditional, or I guess, the stereotypical is wine, but I
0: yeah.
1: read that you know may, may have been beer. You know, the translation may have been skewed somewhere in the past couple of thousand
0: yeah. years. Well, it was probably it was probably wine, but it, what what I always say is that if if Jesus had been in, had been born truly in Egypt. Um, and not in first-century Palestine, it would have been beer. I mean, yeah. that's what they would have been drinking. But that's not, like, particularly keen insider that, like, edgy or interesting. That's just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's matter-of-fact. Um, but, like, we, we were laughing in one of our small groups, that first miracle of turning water into wine. Um, the, the text actually goes to great pangs to, to say how late they were in the marriage festival. Which if in a first-century Jewish wedding, it was an entire village that would be partying for like an entire week. Like they would, the whole city. I mean, day after day, they would it would just be a celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the text is very specific about it being day three, so they've been at this for a while. Okay, and probably quite a few people are like hungover, if not. <laughs> like, I mean, they're tired. They're they're they're, you know, they're hitting a wall as far as their partying. And, uh, Jesus' mom actually is the one who's like, you know what this party needs. (laughs) And, uh, and what he creates is actually, it says, uh, by the measure of the six casks, um, and how big they were, the, uh, the amount of wine that he made was, uh, 12 half barrel kegs. Jeez. So if you ever went to a party with 12 half barrel kegs, that's what we're talking about when we're like, you know, Jesus was against alcohol, you know, God's against alcohol, like let's see let's
1: do some quick math 12 half barrels would be six barrels each barrel is 31 gallons so 880 gallons of wine Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) nice quick math
1: yeah I I mean it's it's clearly it's not totally correct but it's it's that's still a lot
0: yeah that's funny yeah so Um, so I mean obviously for for us it's like man doesn't kind of feels like God should have bigger fish to fry than that you know, there's yeah. there's there's starving kids in Haiti, and uh, there's um, corruption in every major company, country around yeah. the world, let alone the ones that can push a button at any time and destroy half the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if if God's still kind of like hung up on that, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I I guess that's a great segue. Being a church and having a lot of other breweries that put a focus on charity and giving back and helping out the community. Is that something that you have started or looking into?
0: Yeah, you know, we've, we've had uh, several events where we, we bring in community nonprofits um that uh, have fundraisers and then we give back 15% of the bar tab for the entire night to the to charity. We've, we've done that several times. Um, we participate. I started uh, IDignity of Seminole County, which is a satellite of IDignity Orlando. Which is an okay. organization that provides identification to the poor homeless, so that they can apply for a job or enroll their kids in school. If you're if you're homeless and all your documentation is destroyed or lost, um, it requires legal counsel, which you can't afford, and you have to trace breadcrumbs back to Minnesota where you went to elementary school to, to prove who you are. Um, and so iDignity Dignity does that. We have volunteers we send down there. We're going to, uh, Haitian Moon Foundation is an organization that we're, we're uh, partners with, which invests in grassroots Haitian-led organizations um, that give kids premium class education uh, in, a, in a country where less than 1% of 1% of kids will graduate from college. Um, and then uh, invest in them to reverse the sort of brain drain with a, an ethic of reinvestment in the community. Uh, and then as we get as we get cash positive in the brewery, to the extent that we get cash positive with the brewery, um, we'll see more and more of our offerings that the church brings in going directly outside our doors because the church doesn't have any overhead, which is part of the, the vision from the beginning. We, we wanted to, I was never comfortable with the fact that I was in charge of a church that was bringing in a couple million dollars a year uh, and less than 10% of that would actually go into the stuff that I felt Jesus cared about yeah. in the world. And so that's that's part of the vision as well. Yeah, uh, been building what you would call a tent-making ministry that, that pays the bills. Interesting.
1: Um, with your theology background, obviously it seems like there's a lot of history that you learned just about the church and about a lot of these things. When you learned a lot about that, how much did the beer culture of 500 years ago how much did you see and then when it came time for you and aaron to finally form something how much of that other than the einbecker ale came into uh, what you wanted to brew what you decided to really have on tap
0: yeah well i mean studying studying monasteries that, that brewed beer and provided for the community was just a matter of fact thing, it wasn't like a a focus of seminary education, it was just like, this happened and it was perfectly normal. Um, And oftentimes there was actually like those instances which we like to cite around Castle Church where people survived plagues and different epidemics at higher proportions because the monastery would say, stop drinking the water, stop eating the food, everyone's gonna live on Doppelbach for the next 30 days or whatever. And the entire community would have much higher uh, percentages of survival than other towns around Europe where they didn't have a monastery brewery.
2: Really? Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean, so little factoids like that are fun. The, the history, the intimate history of, of German monasteries and beer, Trappist monasteries in Belgium and, and beer, everyone kind of knows a little bit about that. So, I mean, it's just like, it's it's just part and parcel. Uh, one of the things about, like, I, I always say that learning history is inherently deconstructive, like, because you, you learn a little bit about what actually happened, um, and as soon as you do, you realize, oh, it doesn't have to be the way it is now, or, you know, we don't have to think this way, because other ways have been have been trod in the past, so, that, I mean, that's the real value of a, a more diverse historical education.
1: And obviously, there's a little bit of education to be gleaned just by looking at the names of the beers that you have on the tap list, I'm assuming
0: that yeah. was intentional yeah of course yeah yeah they've gotten more uh, we've, we've started out all uh, kind of like reformation uh, references and then as we've gotten further we've started having more fun with like <laughs> theological themes like uh, adventus or hop Substantiation, Um <laughs> just to play on uh, some more conceptual type things and,
1: how much of the how often are the beers named for I guess which comes first, the beer or the name? Are there names that you want to make a beer for so that you can have it be a talking point? Or do you generally look at the beer and try to oh, think no, of Oh, no, something? no, no.
0: The, the name always comes after the beer. We, we, we want to create the best possible beer that that we can, and then we have a little fun afterwards naming it. And usually there's some kind of reference to what's actually in the beer. Um, so, like, uh, we had a brute IPA that was seasonal in... Uh, January, it came out, and uh, we had a. It was it was not a super dry brood. It was uh, mm-hmm. it had honey in it to sort of soften that. Okay. Um, but uh, we we called that one brood of vipers, like <laughs> the line in uh, in Mark and Matthew, where uh, where John the Baptist calls out the crowds. Um, so we have, we have some fun with that, but it's it's kind of like a fun little challenge after the fact. Once the beer once the beer exists, like, and it's like a week away from release, then we always get together as a team. And like, all right, we got to name it.
1: So <laughs> um, the industrial chic here is actually really really impressive. And like, there's how
0: many of these trailers or I guess what would you call these things? Uh, they're. Um, refurbished and remodeled shipping containers there you go
1: how many of these did you grab for the brewery why Uh, did you decide to go
0: that route yeah there's six of them on our build out as a whole we have the two reefer containers um, one of which serves as the tap uh, the uh, the bar um, and then uh, the office space and the lab are built out of shipping containers as well
1: so you opened with a lab
0: yeah yeah i mean it's uh, most labs in a startup brewery are work in progress you, you just add to it as you as you're able but we can do some uh, i mean we can do some some fairly sophisticated quality control and, and ed who has a background with anheuser and okay. uh, bells and uh, avery was able to help us take that sort of to the next level as far as like on a budget putting together the best possible quality control that we could
1: yeah, you, uh, your new brewmaster was retiring, and then came down, saw, heard about you guys, and basically yeah. moved down here for yep. you. Correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. He he, uh, he came down and wanted to sort of help us get it started right because has a he has a mind for the the church and the and the larger, bigger picture of what we're trying to create here as well. Um, and so it, it was very important to him to. To be a part of it, if we if we wanted him, and of course we did, because um, of his, his wealth of background. So mm-hmm. that's been great. And sort of jiving with the calling that is Castle Church, what you were kind of yeah yeah, and he, he'll be finishing up seminary in a couple of years um, to be a pastor. So nice. Uh, we've been able to incorporate him into the church community as well. Excellent, excellent. It's been a good um,
1: So obviously we've been drinking the Kolsch which is named after. Martin Luther's wife, correct? That's right. Yes, I learned something. Yay. <laughs> um, and the All Saints, which I think was the beer that really attracted me to Castle Church more than anything else. Uh, what other kind of things do you generally like to have on tap? Do you want to make sure you're always there, that you kind of find to be a hallmark of Castle Church?
0: Yeah. Sure. Well, um, the, the five beers that are our, our core distribution lineup mm-hmm. um, will always be on tap here. So uh, our Einbecker. Uh, our Florida IPA, our double IPA, our Pilsner, and our uh, Amber, um, and then we'll, we'll probably start distributing uh, possibly our Saison, um, possibly our brown ale as well um, in the near future. What makes a Florida IPA a Florida IPA? Uh, the the First of all, it's sessionable in uh hot weather. We wanted something that people could go out and okay. drink for a couple hours and, and not feel completely overwhelmed. Um, and then it's also uh, the, the citrus on the nose as well as the the bright body mm-hmm. on it. So we wanted something that basically on a, on a hot day you would taste it and it didn't just taste like hop water. It had a, it had a good backbone uh, while all of the, the hoppy characteristics that IPA lovers like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Pilsner, is a uh, smash
1: Pilsner, why did you decide to go that route with just the single hop and the single malt?
0: I think that was a little bit of uh, machismo on Ed's part. <laughs> you just want to see how well he can do it. Like, obviously, the fewer ingredients you have in a beer, the fewer ingredients there are to hide mistakes. <coughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of, uh, I, I think that was the one time I've ever seen Ed just sort of, like, strut and puff his chest out. Like, watch nice. watch how I can brew a smash Pilsner. And it, it came out clean nice. and uh, the man knows what he's doing nice and
1: then I'm sorry but you got to talk about the bags hmm so I've never seen a growler come in anything but either a can or a bottle and yet you have what looked to be the bags that you get the astronaut ice cream in when you go to Kennedy Space Center with yeah a, with a spout at the bottom where did you even find those and why did you decide decide that that was the route
0: for for you yeah we, uh, we um, liked the concept of the Growler bags because they're versatile. Um, you can. I took one to the beach yesterday for Memorial Day, um, so you can throw it in a cooler and not worry about glass and not worry about all that other stuff. Uh, and the other benefit of them is they uh, the, the beer stays fresh for uh, one and a half weeks. About. Okay. we've we've tested it up to uh, about ten days. Um, uh, and so a traditional growler, you fill it up and you have about two to three days tops you know, yeah. to drink that before it goes flat. And, and so that, that keeps a pressure on it that, that allows you not do that. Um, and uh, we, we also liked the, uh, the fact that you can just, you can pack it in a cooler. Um, you wouldn't have to worry about, you wouldn't have to worry about where you're keeping it or how you're keeping it, that kind of thing. Um, cool. Yeah, they've been a good little. They've been a, a good little test case for us. <laughs> so, what is next for Castle
1: Church? Obviously, distribution is growing. Your um, visitation
0: base is growing. The church is growing. Yeah. Where's what's the next step? Well, we're uh, yeah, distribu- growing distribution is uh, a full-time occupation of a, a couple people on our leadership team. Um, growing the church Uh, ultimately the five year plan what we'd like to do is is build other tap rooms in the community um, so that we can find other local communities who are are saying like we want a a community first uh, a high relational uh, brewery where everybody knows your name um, and uh, you can come have a quality well executed craft beer um, that that's kind of the vision Ultimately, we we don't want to we don't want to just be a brand. We want to be a, a network of little communities.
1: Awesome. Um, Excellent. Where can people find out more about more information about your community?
0: Uh, Castlechurchbrewing.com, dot com. Of course, uh, we have a Castle Church Brewing app on uh, Android or Apple, and that'll let you know what's going on in the calendar at any given time, uh, specials, promotions we have coming up, uh, notify you if there's a promotion or something like that that you want to take advantage of, as well as what beers are on tap at any given time. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Instagram and, Cast- and Facebook at Castle Church Brewing. And you have a mailing list
1: yourself, and you actually, because I, I read the stuff that you publish on the mailing list, which really isn't beer as much as it is musings about the church and spirituality, which I find really interesting. Yeah, thank
0: you. So yeah. Yeah, it.
1: Awesome. So thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, guys.
1: Now uh, what's nice is with Castle Church Brewing, you're able to see some tap handles are starting to grow in the Orlando area. Uh, hopefully they will package pretty soon because I would love to get some more of those beers down by me, especially their Einbecker, which is just phenomenal. But we've got another brewery to get to. And before we do that, let's get into some news. So it looks like 81 Bay Brewing in Tampa has just released their... Award-winning orange wheat ale in 16-ounce Tallboy cans. That's available in their tap room. Uh, Eleven dollars for a four-pack, which is great. In terms of another 16-ounce four-pack, uh, Big Storm Brewing in all three of their tap rooms, which are in Clearwater, in Pasco, in Odessa, and Pasco County, and I think Cape Coral is the third never remember. They have Bromosa being released, which is their Tangerine Brute IPA. Brute IPAs being all the rage these days, which is awesome. Southwest Florida Ale Trail, big, big friends of the podcast. And we still have a couple of their Southwest Florida Ale Trail passports available for free to the first couple listeners that shoot me an email. Um, On August 3rd, they are doing a bus tour between the brand new Momentum Brew House, Palm City Brewing, Fort Myers Brewing, and Pointy Bell Brewing. So that is on August 3rd. Uh, four really, really good breweries. I love the Southwest Florida Ale Trail, so you know they're going to do it correctly. And if you go to their Instagram account, which is SWFL for Southwest Florida Ale Trail, you can get the link to purchase tickets for that, which is awesome. Uh, up in Jacksonville, Strings Sports Brewery has opened. Congratulations. Duval County has always been a big hot spot of craft beer here in the state of Florida. So I'm always happy to see when they get a new one in and they've gotten a new one. So Strings, hopefully we'll get them on the podcast pretty soon, which is great. Let's see, what else is going on? Uh, Destin Brewery, all the way out of the panhandle, has just released or is about to release their 2019 Emerald Coast Blue Marlin Classic Beers, their ECBC Ale that commemorates this annual event. Uh, Brand new artwork this year, looks utterly fantastic. Would love to get some of those on june 22nd that's already expired i'm gonna move on from that let's see (laughs) uh three daughters is doing their seltzer fest three daughters brewing it's interesting that they have expanded into ciders and expanded into seltzers and they're doing sort of an interesting event with their hard seltzers um it is a 40-day ticket the event will get you seltzers But there will also be food and mixologists from around the Tampa Bay area mixing drinks with the seltzers. And you, as a patron, will be able to vote on which ones you like, which is awesome. Hourglass Brewing and the City of Longwood are once again doing this Florida Smash Beer Festival. I've always been interested in going to this. Uh, Smash being a single malt and single hop beer So the 2019 one is on Saturday, September 7th. Uh, General admission is $35, VIP is $60, and if you go to the hourglass, actually the Florida underscore smash underscore beer underscore festival Instagram account page, you can find the link to purchase tickets to this always fun event. Let's see if anything else interesting is going on. Does not look like they are. And so we will talk about Half Barrel Brewing. Half Barrel is an interesting little place. Um, I really, really enjoy it. It is in Orlando. It is probably the only beer project that you will see in the attractions area. Uh, If you're familiar with it, they are on Universal Drive across the street from UCF's Rosen School of Hospitality. You drive 10 minutes one way, you're at SeaWorld. You drive 10 minutes the other way, you're at Universal Orlando. Um, But there's a row of condos or apartments or whatever. You'll see there's a Walgreens on the ground floor. And behind there, just a little bit, is Half Barrel Beer Project. They're a little bit larger than a half barrel now. Uh, They have a really great row of taps, and they do a very, very good job of filling the taps and filling their coolers with exciting craft beers from around the state and around the country. Stuff that they really want to drink. It's very small. It's very limited, and if you don't get it when they put it on tap odds are it's going to disappear really fast so they are they're really really cool so i was able to speak with josh who is their product manager and then scott who's the co-owner um able to chat a little bit about this very unique beer experience in the middle of a place that you wouldn't necessarily think of finding good unique beer experiences so enjoy the interview Well, what was the impetus in creating the project? As they look at each other, not wanting to take the first jump. Uh, no, it
3: was uh, it was it was really quite simple. We were we were homebrewers. Uh, we were trying some different things, and um, you yeah, know, ironically, the, the, the story gets a little strange because we um, I have a daughter who's five years old and. We decided to have a baby reveal party about I don't know six years ago, Ooh, okay. and I brewed two beers, um, one for a boy and one for a girl, and okay. it was a girl. So we had all this beer left Just over for a boy, and we uh, we were opening it up and sharing it with a lot of our friends. A lot of people had a lot of great feedback. So Scott, the owner, uh, came to me and uh, said, "What do you think about us doing something on our own?" So. So we tried it out.
1: I, I have to know what the beers were.
3: What was the boy beer? What was the girl beer? Nah. So the, the boy beer was a blueberry Trappist ale, and the, the girl beer was a basically a peach wheat. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple standard ales. Uh, is it similar could, to the sweet
1: beer? Was uh, pretty pretty standard.
3: Yeah, pretty standard. Just a little bit of adjuncts added to it, but okay. but yeah.
1: Interesting. I've never heard that done before.
3: So. Yeah, we, we, you know, we, I was pretty pretty avid about homebrewing at the time, um, and it was just something that that we thought was appropriate for our family at the time. And my wife was on board, and our families were on board, and we gave it a shot, and there it was.
1: So it's sort of an interesting location that you have picked out. I'm assuming, are you Williamsburg residents? Or yeah, close yeah, man. To? Yeah, yeah, man. How is it homebrewing Williamsburg traditionally thought of as the, uh, I guess, the retirement community of Orlando? Not not as much anymore, but... So. Yeah, I mean, we, uh... Yeah,
4: we started off in, uh, in our garage in Williamsburg. Uh, we bought a, a half barrel SAP Show uh, brew Magic, and uh, we brewed on that for a, pretty close to a year in our garage. Had a full uh, setup, uh, professional setup, and uh, kind of hone in on on the brewing technique. And, because we, we really don't have uh, quarter beers, right? So we, we just brew all one
1: off, so. Do you find that gets irritating And having your regulars come by asking you, hey, the thing that you made two months ago, can you put that on tap again? No,
3: I don't, I, 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 honestly, I don't think that the, that the industry dictates that. They constantly want something new, something fresh, something different. So what's interesting is a lot of... of about a lot of these, I wouldn't say local, but but you know mass-produced breweries, is that they they, they really try to hone in on their 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 staple beers or core beers or flagships, however, and um, you know we, we're we're completely different. Like we're, we're a craft beer project, if you will, not to use the name in a different light, but um, yeah, I mean we we strive very hard to try to be what the people want and they dictate what we do and they also dictate what what we put in our um, our, uh, our model in the beer our
4: bottle shop
1: yeah so taking so, so a look at that you got some really nice stuff in there not the standard
3: issue Maduro and yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're limited a little bit on space, but that's okay. I mean we we wanted to be something small. Um, we want to be something different in an area that that, that doesn't have like that homebrew, uh, home bottle shop kind of feel. I mean we are very richly diverse in the home or in the um, in the tourist area. So you know, mo- some some I wouldn't say most, but some of our clientele. I'd say about 30 to 40% um, are from other places and they want to come here. And the the unique thing is that we get to, uh, you know, host a lot of different local breweries breweries and local beers that are made and distributed in our bottle shop. Um, We we try to do it a little bit on tap, uh, but but most of what we can do is in our bottle shop and they can not only drink them here, uh, but they can take them to go.
1: Uh, being across the street from a, from UCF, or, the, or at least the, the uh, hospitality program at UCF, do you find that a lot of the clientele tends to come over from there? Uh, or do they generally, are they a little bit older, work in the area, I would live say,
3: above us yeah, where I, we are? I would, I would say actually pretty few from the Rosen Hospitality Program at UCF. Um, we get some. Uh, but but very few Uh, they do have a a brewing class over at that program um, one in which that I've spoke on in some of the classes because I was invited to speak on, on some of them But um, I would say very few, most of it, I mean, again, the industry kind of dictates what what, what happens around this area. Um, And because we are in the hospitality area, because we are in the the, the parks area, quote unquote, uh, a lot of the people that work in those industries, that work at the parks, that work in these local restaurants, um, you know, they, they live right here, right right above us, right around us, right across the street from us, so um, a lot of what we do uh, is dictated by, by, by who they are, uh, so we're, we're kind of like a tap room and a brewery for the people. Interesting. Well, I know, I think I found you just on social media in the
1: area, on business at the very least, and definitely wanted to come to right. check it out. The fact that you're so close oh, no. to family <laughs> it yeah, definitely doesn't percent. hurt. Do you see a lot of the Williamsburg crowd coming over here? Oh yeah, yeah
4: actually we do. Yeah, we have already, uh, a real good uh, uh, Williamsburg
1: crowd.
4: And we get people from all over uh, Orlando, Tampa,
3: Jacksonville. Um, we've, we've built some pretty strong relationships with the people who do live locally. Um, not only above us uh, or across the street from us, but you know the Williamsburg community is pretty pretty unique, um, and it's yeah. very diverse. Um, so you know again, they a lot of them have checked us out. Um, uh, some of them are are very much regulars, and they come whenever we whenever we uh, we post or advertise or market anything new, something that's up and coming or events that we have. Uh, we see a lot of a lot of feedback from that. Um, you know, they, they, they enjoy coming in here for sure. Do you find that a lot of the people that are
1: traveling to Orlando for beer, not specifically traveling to Orlando and getting beer on the side, but coming to Orlando to try some of the breweries in the area, are starting to come start,
3: find you out? Well, what's, what's actually nice is that, you know, we're kind of a, a pinpoint for a lot of people. I mean, there's, there's a couple, like, local breweries that are somewhat close. Um, but I think that we're closer because we're located right behind the convention center. I mean, walking distance from SeaWorld, uh, very much Uber or driving distance from from some of the other parks, Universal, Disney. Um, but but they come here first. If they search craft beer uh, on Google, uh, we, we pop up and, and, and it's, it's cool and they come to a, a local place from people who are traditionally local and, you know, they, they, they try local stuff and they ask us about, you know, local advice and, and and to me, that's what it's all about. Like, at that point, we're able to market other local breweries that we would, you know, suggest that they try to visit and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty unique, but it's fun. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and how is the local scene growing? Because, you know, a couple of big openings and obviously a very... High-profile closing. Um, <laughs> don't want to get into it too much because I don't know details. Yeah, you know, but how would you describe you know, Orlando beer specifically in Central Florida beer I think, as a whole?
3: I think that Orlando beer has been at a constant growth for the last four to five years. Um, you know, us us being a liaison, if you will, uh, of of what what that movement could dictate. Um, we've seen a lot of great breweries open. Um, we've seen very, very, very few close. And some of those that, that, that would close would be very close friends of ours. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we've, we've been able to collaborate a little bit with some of the people. Uh, they've, they've, they've joined us in some, some collaborative beers. Uh, we've been to different breweries with some collaborative beers. Uh, and, and we've had some some unique things happen and um, so the relationships really are, are are what we try to hone in on but but it, but in the end I mean I think that I think that Orlando itself you know it's 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 one of the fastest growing beer markets in the United States because because we might have we might have been a little bit late to the dance um, but because we're so rapid and trying to catch up and because we're so culturally culturally diverse, Like we've seen this growth at such a rapid pace, and it's been not only fun, but awesome.
1: Awesome. Um, when brewing on your system, and I guess when people are coming over to brew on the system, having only half a barrel to work with, what sort of things are you able to not have to worry about that some of the other ones that have to deal with 10, 20
3: barrels?
1: have to go through
3: well i mean i would say uh, so first off we we are a half barrel beer project we we did start on a half barrel system like scott said earlier Mm. in in a garage um we've grown since then oh wow i apologize (laughs) no you're fine you're fine i mean it's it, it, it we've stuck with the name and we're holding strong to it um we are a one barrel system now that's how much we can brew at a time uh slightly actually over that um but, uh, but we try to fill our fermenters at one barrel capacity cool. so that we're able to at least um, move them into half barrels, treat, or um, switch everything off as, as we can and, and rotate constantly.
1: Nice. And it was, I was very excited to be able to come back and once your beers were released and see kind of, I guess, what you had on tap. Um, Style-wise, what don't you want to play with
3: is there anything that's off limits i i would say no um, the, the unique thing about our tap room is that you know we have you know anywhere from between you know 12 to 16 taps on at a time um not including cider and wine, of course, but uh, <laughs> but our bottle shop really expands our inventory and gives people sort of more of a more of a decision or a choice uh, to, to to choose from uh, for for what they want. Um, but we uh, we we truly try to try to brew what people want. Um, and, you know, we enjoy hearing their feedback on everything that they try to have. Uh, it, it's not really up to us. I mean, we, mm-hmm. again, we, we like to brew beers that we like to brew, but mm-hmm. we, like, we, we like better to brew beers that other people like to drink. So,
1: Do you think that that's something that a lot of home brewers that go into professional brewing, that that is a lesson that they don't necessarily learn I, or is that a lesson that gets learned very fast, or else you're gone? I,
3: I don't, I, I don't know if I can answer that question um, <laughs> to the utmost respect of what most other people drink or choose to do at breweries. Um, but this is what we figured out for that works best for us. Um, again, it's a unique location. Um, a lot of people come in and. We try a lot of different things, and, and we, we really just do our best to try to showcase not only what's new to the industry or new to the market, uh, but, but what's in our market, and that's, that's kind of a focal point for us, um, even though it's not solely what we depend on, um, but, but it's, it's a unique thing that's, that's made us a little bit different than most places. Um, but but it's awesome. I mean, how often do you get to go to a place where it's, it's a tap room, it's a bottle shop, and we brew beer on the side?
1: And that's one of the things that I've always liked about this place is that sort of home, small hometown community feel. Um, especially with the sort of neighborhood that you're located in, do you try to see yourself as becoming sort of a community center? is really if you take a look at what's around there really isn't any sort of gathering place with the exception of you know.
3: yeah I mean you know there, there isn't a local brewery in this like two say, three five mile radius maybe what's
1: close like maybe Crooked Can or Dead Lizard yeah yeah I would say
3: those two um, uh, the, another another close one I think would be Ellipsis I mean they're they're not within the five mile radius, but they're very, very close. I mean, it's like, like seven or eight miles. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of the best up and coming breweries in, in the state, I think. Um, definitely within Central Florida. Um, but it's, it's, it's been awesome to carry a lot of their product and, and not only showcase what we can in cans, but uh, also what's on draft. And people try that stuff here, and it's so easy for us to talk about and to market and to invite those people to go visit those places.
1: Do you feel that a lot of the people that come in here generally are knowledgeable enough to where you don't have to explain what a New England IPA is, or sometimes you got to sit them down and kind of walk
0: them through? I mean, I, I think that
3: beer is all about education. You know, whether we're learning about what the styles might be, what the, the, the flavor profiles might be, or what the breweries, where they are and where they might be, I think it's all about education. Um, to me, I mean, it's the easiest thing for us to do is, allow, is to try to educate them on what the style might be and what the flavor profiles might be. But more interestingly, we obviously try, we, 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 we try to give out complimentary small samples just so people can taste what those flavor profiles might be.
1: Cool. And um, I guess with the two that are on draft right now, the wheat ale that I'm trying right now, and the uh, <laughs> we'll come back to the New England IPA here in a couple of seconds, but um, with the wheat ale, what was that creation like? What would you, uh, you kind of...
3: Yeah, we, we've been working on a, a couple of things like with a couple of different styles. Um, the wheat really has been something that we've been trying to nail down for a couple of reasons. Um, not necessarily because it's a because it's something that we like to drink, but again, it's something that everybody that is around us really enjoys, and it's it's a somewhat lower end. Uh, ABV and it's something that people usually can kind of gravitate towards if they're not sure what they want Um, but that's something that we're working on and you know we're always looking to improve and you know obviously we accept feedback so that's a big that's a big thing about what we do and and what we believe.
1: And then the strawberry lemonade New England IPA which is uh, what I assume you have right now Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah this
4: is uh, I can
1: tell by the haze. This is our
4: uh, that, that that was our second New England uh, IPA that we brewed. Uh, we did a triple dry hop one. Oh, and, wow! Uh, my brother Chad um, wanted to. Uh, he came up with this uh, creation, and uh, basically, we wanted to make a, a really smooth IPA with a little with a little hint of uh, strawberry. So, we didn't overcruit it, because uh, we really shouldn't do that in a way or an IPA. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm at, my right now.
1: I love it, man. <laughs> is it better than Natterdays?
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> what, Natterdays is awesome. <laughs> it's the best beer they ever made. <laughs> they. uh they were actually uh, Natalie
1: Light actually called out uh, some friends of mine on the TLH Beer Society. Yeah, it's
3: it's, it's it's
0: it's yeah it's
3: it's it's crazy, you know how how even some of these like you know massive production brewers like can just flip out something that's so light, so cheap, and you know so so tasty. But I mean again, we're a product of society, so there's a lot of people that that really enjoy drinking that style of beer this time this (laughs) time of year especially um but no i mean we we saw an opportunity to do to do a new england which is something we've we've been we've been working on i mean uh like scott said earlier it's our first one that we've released um we've had a few that we haven't released that we've tried and we liked but we didn't think was quite appropriate for the clientele um Mm But that's all, it's all trial and error. I mean, that's, that's what brewing is. It's, it's an art, it's a craft. If, you, if, you, if, you, if we don't like it, we're not gonna serve it. And that's that's basically what it's all about. So what's interesting about this one is that we took six pounds of strawberry and we, we mixed it with, a, a again, a, a one barrel of brew. Um, we did all, um, it's basically lemon drop hops, uh, citra hops, okay. and Belma hops and that really to bring out that like that bright lemony fresh kind of like citrusy kind of flavor um and, and and really i mean that's that's it i mean it's six pounds in a, in a one barrel system really isn't that much and you really get just a slight hint on the aroma um, and even even less on the flavor but the, all those citrus hops that 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 lemon drop it really kind of brings it through and it's really quite nice and it's, it's very refreshing
1: yeah it's like you were saying it's like you don't really want it too much fruit in a New England. It sort of defeats the purpose. True, I mean, and right. again, at
3: if, if 5.3%, I mean, dude, it is, like, not it's much, super yeah. drinkable, it's super ju- juicy, it's got a ton of hop there. So um, where it would it, any typical New England-style IPA drinker would, would definitely enjoy and, and want another one.
1: Do you find that your patrons and craft beer in general are starting to move away from wanting the big, heavy... Double digit ABV, event beers, and then something that's a little bit more
3: yeah, it's, it's inter- easy it's, to drink. It's, it's interesting that you asked that um, because I think that, I mean, from what I've heard, the state of Florida does a lot of really good Imperial you know, pastry <laughs> stouts. So, I mean, we as much as we it's love it. It's amazing that, how
1: you have heard that.
3: It's amazing that, uh, that, that, that not only we enjoy drinking those beers, but it's just not something that's, that's appropriate all the time, obviously. I mean, I think we were upwards of 98 or 100 degrees today. Um, so yeah. that's, that's just, to me, it's a more of a seasonal thing. And to us, I mean, I think that that's what we try to dictate not only on, what's on draft. Um, I mean, normally we have a, 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 an Imperial Stout or something like that on. Which we do, currently, um, but that stout is uh, coconut cream pie, and it, it, it's a it's a blonde stout. So, it's something, it's it's light in color, and it's super refreshing. Um, I don't know if anybody's had it. I'm sure that some of us have, um, but Untitled Arts Coconut Cream Pie Blonde Stout is not only 10%, but, um, but it, 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 it's reminiscent of like a surfboard wax. Okay. Which is, okay. It, it brings, it's almost... A, a little bit more like euphoric, in some sense, and like it just kind of gets you back to where kind of like we were when we were growing up, you know, waxing down our surfboards and that kind of thing. And it's 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 not only is it good, but it's very easy to sell. Interesting,
4: interesting. And we, so, and we do have a uh, next week. We do have a 11.6 percent Colaco Imperial stuff.
1: Wow, that, so uh, that so
4: good with a collaboration <laughs> with our uh, our good buddy uh, Scott Conley uh, from uh, Big River.
1: Oh, cool! Big River being the one over at uh, the Boardwalk Distillery, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Real,
3: real good friend, great guy, awesome brewer. Yeah, no, I mean he's fantastic. I mean we we've, we've had a lot of great relationships with a lot of really close brewers, um, and. You know, Sky was Sky Sky Conley was, you know, a, a very a very close, I would say, brother of ours um, that we've harnessed, and um, he, he's he's given us a, lo- a lot of guidance and a lot of capability to do a lot of things that we weren't really sure that we were gonna do. We we the special thing about Half Barrel Beer Project is that we knew we were gonna be a tap room. We knew we were gonna be a bottle shop and we knew we were going to brew, but we weren't really sure how that third phase or that third tier was going to operate, um, but, but collaborating with local brewers and bringing them in and showing them what we have and what we have to work with and, and, and having them buy into to what, what we are all about has been very unique, but, but, but very awesome.
1: Interesting. Is this the New England IPA? No, I'll try this. It's the lemon drop hops that I'm really looking forward to. Give it that's a smell. Uh, that's
4: a that's a first run on that beer, and second, uh,
1: New England we have our Britney. It's amazing how garden fresh a lot of the hops smell. It's got that great sort of floral aroma that mixes a little bit with the fruitiness. Just a hint of uh, strawberry. It, it's 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 a hint but it's mm-hmm. the right amount. Like mm-hmm. you said, you don't want this to be a no. strawberry shortcake here. This is not no, strawberry yeah, lactose yeah. type. The yeah. overfruit
4: it's, sours. It's yeah. definitely uh, a...
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting way to... Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Wow, that's fantastic. That's easily one of the best New England's I've I have I've had. Wow, so it really fun. is, because yeah. it's just... it. it masterfully keeps the AB or the IBUs low, mm-hmm. which is what I like in the New England. I think with a lot of New Englands the brewers tend to just wanna have bitterness anyways because gosh we we're using all these hops, I want something in there. whereas with this one, it's a lot more of the flavor. And there's that there's that strawberry at the very, yeah. very end. Yeah. It finally just kinda pokes it. And because you're so close to some great strawberry fields, anyway. So I would assume it's not difficult to get fresh. Yeah, Plant Anything.
3: City, you know they they do a really good thing for it. But every oh, that's everything, everything
4: we put in our beer is, it's, you know, besides some <laughs> of our flowers we'll do. We have a a series that we'll do a artificial flavoring. So like we did a uh, a Kool Aid dish <laughs> where we actually put Kool Aid in it. Okay. And it was uh, it was fantastic. How Uh, long did that stick around? Oh, it went quick. Yeah. And then uh, we did a uh, a Jolly Rancher uh, kettle sour where we actually uh, liquefied uh, all the uh, red Jolly Ranchers and the green and poured that it a watermelon and an apple. Yeah.
1: How how did you manage to get Liquefy Jolly Rancher into and out of your system without destroying
3: the entire thing. Uh, well, well, it's a, it's a, it's a treatment. You know, it's really <laughs> it's really something. <laughs> we don't do this very much. No. Um, but um, I've heard of people I mean, randling with yeah, Jolly yeah. ranchers. But. No, I mean, so it's it's. I mean, all you got to do is heat up heat up the actual like candy, mm-hmm. and you know, we we basically just introduce it into you know how we kind of like. Transfer everything and and re- recycle everything, um, but it's quite interesting. I mean, we, we've we've done a lot of fresh fruit stuff. I mean, we're we're big into emulsifying a ton of freaking local fruit if we can.
1: Um,
3: you know, we've done kiwis blackberries blueberries raspberries strawberries all, all yeah. kinds of stuff um but but to us i mean you know it's we, we've even had a, a local patron that brings he has an a, a, an orange orchard like farm uh-huh. and you know he's brought in a bunch of his local stuff and we've, we've we've made not only a, a wit from that but we've made a new england from that um so it's it's been it's been fun it's been fun and the cool thing again i mean we get we get a little bit of room to play, and now that we're growing and we're becoming a little bit more well known, um, I would like to say that our tap room is shrinking from from a lot of taps that, that we like to drink from breweries across the nation uh, to more of our own. And I don't know if that's disingenuous or something that <laughs> that we intentionally have happened, but but it's but it's it's quite nice.
1: Well, I, I guess what was the end goal for Half Barrel Beer Project? Was it to be the kind of small, relaxed bottle shop, tap room, brewery that you have right now? Are you looking to go big and sell out? What was, what were you trying to achieve? Where what was the
3: original goal? Well, I, I think that like selling out at this point is not really something that's like on our minds. Um, it's, and it's never been on our minds. To so us, it's really been about rapid growth. I mean, how do we enhance our taproom? How do we enhance our brewery? How do we enhance our bottle shop? How do we enhance our marketability and the people that are visiting this, this portion of the state or this portion of Orlando? Um, again we truly believe in, in enhancing all of those around us um, so we want to grow at the pace that most people grow um, right now we again we're, we're looking at just we were talking earlier before you got here Scott and I we were talking about how, how can we further enhance our taproom and we've we made very small improvements um, or some some larger improvements uh, every couple of months and, it, and it's been exciting. So we're reinvesting in ourselves um, Scott just told me today that um, we got a couple more one-barrel firm coming in and a few more uh, uh, Kegs coming in that we'll be able to have available all the time You know, I think our, I think our goal is to have at least about a half half of our tap list to be our beers um, so that people get to not only see and taste what we do but they get to experience that and also experience some of the the better things that we have to offer, uh, not only for the industry, but for localism. Excellent. And Orlando is big enough and growing
1: enough to where it can support not only your growth, but growth of craft beer in general.
3: Yeah. I mean, we've... We've actually, I mean, we've looked at a couple things. Um, Craft beer is, is exploding in Orlando, it, it really is. It's exploding everywhere. We've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different places that come to Orlando for conventions, for vacations, for tourism, whatever it may be. Um, and they, they tell us how it's growing in their own hometowns, in their own local communities. Uh, and it's very exciting to hear. Um, but but we, we try to be a catalyst for what's happening not only here but just so that people can can capture something that's more memorable, you know, while they're at that convention, on that vacation, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but it but it's been it's been pretty interesting to see and to hear feedback and, and to be able to to cultivate sort of what we're gonna do and how we're gonna change and, and and yeah, there, there, there was a time when we had an end endgame. Uh, but right now, I mean, we're, we're allowing the market and the industry to kind of dictate what we do and how we do it and what we're going to do different in the future.
1: Excellent. Um, if people are interested in Half Barrel Beer Project, where can they go for more information? They can go to our website.
4: Instagram, Facebook, uh, Untappd.
3: Half Barrel <laughs> Yeah, half um, Instagram, Facebook are always great uh, you know social media outlets for us. Uh, and and you know we check we check those things daily. So if there's ever any feedback or any questions or you know we're, we're, we're always on board to answer those pretty rapidly. Scott's wife does that by the way <laughs> she's our accountant and our social media expert. I don't have
4: my phone or my computer
3: so. <laughs> I'm sure she's at home just relaxing right now
1: yeah' I'm good for her thank you very much gentlemen I appreciate it it's been a pleasure they are a lot of fun it's a, it's an interesting place and you wouldn't necessarily know that it's there which is kind of part of the part of the awesomeness about it i was in orlando on business and managed to find them and oh hey look look what's here so it's it's great to see especially in orlando as the beer community really starts to grow and pick up steam so it's it's always wonderful nice to see more more beer coming in from some really great people so, the Florida Beer Podcast is a production of FloridaBeerBlog.com. You can find us at FloridaBeerBlog.com, obviously. Social media, we're at, F- at FloridaBeerBlog on Instagram and Twitter. We're at FLBeerBlog on Facebook. You can write to us directly at FloridaBeerBlog at gmail.com. Remember, if you want to win those two passports, one of those two passports from the Southwest Florida Ale Trail, or we still have a gift card for four free beers at If I Brewed the World. In St. Petersburg, one of the craziest and most inventive new breweries that I've seen in in the Grand Central District Email us and the first person to do wins Our intro announcer is Jeff Brozovich Today's music is once again courtesy of Scott Holmes You can find this song and more at scottholmesmusic.com Thank you so much to today's guests Uh, Definitely thank you to Pia who is Scott's wife over at half barrel beer project for setting up my interview with them and to Jared at castle church for giving me some time. I really do appreciate that. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe. You're probably listening on a podcasting app. Just hit the subscribe button. If your podcasting app allows you to leave a review, leave a review Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell anybody that might be interested in Florida craft beer to come check out the podcast. That's the best way for us to grow. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Appreciate you listening. Thank you and drink Florida craft.
4: businessman and industrialist, there is unlimited opportunity in the changing face of Florida.